Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Uh, the, the message title is Fear in the End because we're going to go to the very end. We're going to the end of the book of Scripture to look at fear in the end. And I, I trust that as we do that, the Lord will help us to know, to launch at this end of Youth Camp 2022 as we launch back into life, that God will give us a clear picture of, of what we're called to do, what we're called to be. When I was a kid, there was this, advent, this series of books, you may know of them, called the Choose Your Own Adventures. Has anybody read those growing up? Oh, good, most of you have, good. Uh, in the story, if, you're, if you know how it goes, in the story, you would turn to certain pages, uh, not in order, depending on the actions that you would choose at the end of every page. So, on page one of every Choose Your Own Adventure book, there was always this warning, and I have it printed up here. This is what it says. It says, warning, do not read the book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures you can have while working as a secret agent. From time to time as you read along, you will be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures you take are a result of your choice. You are responsible because you choose. After you make your choice, follow the instructions to see what happens to you next. Remember, you cannot go back. Think carefully before you make a move. One mistake could be your last. It, or it may lead you to fame and fortune. So as you go along in the book, you would get to the end of a page and you might encounter like these different, these four options that we'll put up. Maybe at the end of this page, you find this. If you want to open the door, you turn to page 37. If you want to run away screaming, I voted for page row, turn to page 98. If you want to jump headfirst into the cosmic lake of chaos, turn to page 112. And finally, if you want to turn your friend to a cheeseburger, turn to page 12. So depending on what choice you made, right, there's different outcomes, different things that would affect how the story would go and how ultimately the story would end. Sometimes your choice of turning to a particular decision, it would go great and things would go swimmingly for you. Other decisions would lead to terrible endings, such as if you chose to turn your friend into a cheeseburger. So if you chose to do that on page 12, you turn to 12, you'll find out that actually you needed your friend because you fell into the cosmic lake of chaos. And a cheeseburger cannot help you get out of a cosmic lake of chaos. So therefore, you will die a terrible and lonely death floating into chaos. It's a tragic ending, and it all depends on how you made the choice. And that was the happy world of my childhood, reading through these choose-your-own-adventure books. But I do have to confess my literary sins to you. I will confess that I always cheated when I read choose-your-own-adventure books. And I'm probably not alone here, but I would actually read, I would go to the different pages, like for instance, I would read, go to th page 37 and to see what happened. And then I would go back to the page I was on. And then I would go back to the page 98, I would go to ahead, I'd read ahead of page 98, see what happens there, what's that outcome, and, and so on and so forth. I would cheat my way to a happy ending in a choose your own adventure book. Every single time I would do that. That is my childhood, cheating through choose your own adventures. That's my sin. 
by confessing my literary sins. But that always resulted in a very happy ending. It always resulted, no matter what the story was, whatever the plot was, by the end of the book, I was a happy man with a happy, successful ending. Now, this kind of reading ahead certainly is wrong. They warned us, right? Page one of the Choose Your Own Adventure, they warn you not to cheat. They say, don't do that, right? Warning, don't read it this way. But that's exactly what I did. And I confess my sin. Now, this kind of reading ahead, though it's wrong in the world of choose your own adventure stories, it is not wrong in a biblical sense. In fact, for us to live rightly, for us to live biblically, we have to go to the end. We've got to read ahead. We've got to go forward. And thankfully, God, throughout all of Scripture, continually points us in that direction to look to the end. And we will choose a wise and a joyful path if we allow what happens in the end to affect our, our choices, our decisions here today. So we're going we're gonna to do that. So chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. Let's prepare ourselves. I know you're tired. I'm going to pray after I read the scripture here that the Lord would strengthen us, give us his energy so that we can stay focused in these last moments together. So I'm going to read and then pray. Chapter 14 of Revelation says this, starting at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made that all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, whoever receives the mark of its name, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help now. There are many tired bodies, many weary souls in this room, Lord, after a a week of much energy being spent. And we're grateful. What a joy, what a gift Youth Camp has been. Thank you for all the people who have been a part of this to make it possible. And ultimately, Lord, we're grateful for your goodness, your love that has been with us, guiding us the way through to this moment. And Jesus, I pray you'd give to to us your Holy Spirit who would enliven our hearts, would, would bring energy where there is weariness, that would bring focus where there is distraction. Holy Spirit, come, help us. Breathe on your word. Breathe on our souls, God, that we might encounter your truth and that we might be transformed by it. And we pray this in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. So these are God's words written by the Apostle John in the end of Scripture. And it shows us, it's a vision. John received this vision from the Lord. He receives this vision of the end. And so this morning, as we come to the end of youth camp, it's very fitting that we now look to the end and seek to understand, to take care to how we are to respond in light of what's coming, in in light of the end, the fear in the end. And this is what I believe the the theme of the call, if I can say it this way, the, the call of Revelation 14, it calls out to us. Here's what it's saying. Hear the call. God's fearful judgment is almost here, so respond today with faith and endurance. God's fearful judgment is almost here, so respond today with faith and endurance. And we're going to work through this text several verses at a time in response to that call. So there's the call, right? Revelation 14 is crying out to us, much as the angels will, will encounter in this text. They're crying out to us. They're showing us things. And the question we need to work through is how are we to respond? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through how to respond to this call. And it's four points. It's going to be afraid of coming judgment. It's going to be be afraid of being marked. Thirdly, it's being afraid of God's wrath. And finally, to stay with Jesus. That's how we're called to respond to the call of Revelation 14. So we're going to dive right in to being afraid. Be afraid. This is our first response when fear in the end is to be afraid of coming judgment. And if we, as we have examined this, this week, there are many reasons to fear God. Many reasons. Revelation 14 zooms in on a, very closely on a one huge reason to be afraid. It's God's fearful judgment. And John the Apostle in this text is going to bring us on a tour. A tour of the end. A tour of the judgment. It's a grand tour. It's a brief tour, but it's a tour from Revelation 14, and there's several angels. First, John sees an angel who's flying directly overhead who preaches the gospel. Verse 6, it says, to every nation and tribe and language and to every people. So what this angel has to say is for everyone, Everyone in all of time and all of history on every inch of this globe, this message has left no one out of the audience. Everyone's in. They're all hearing it. This angel's voice echoes out in such a way that no one can say, I didn't hear it. It's very similar to what we encounter here in Romans chapter 1 when Paul the Apostle says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, They are without excuse. The message of the angel, much as as Paul describes in Romans 1, the message of the angels goes out in such a way that no one is with an excuse. God has made it clear. God has made it plain to them. As plain as the nose on their face. As plain as the nose on their face. Here's a deep thought alert. 
I'm giving you an alert. Whenever there's a deep thought. Have you ever tried to, to, to not see your nose? Try it. Let's give it a second. Try not to see your nose. I've, and I'll give you a little pro tip. The best shot you have is by looking straight up. If you look straight up, that's the closest you'll get. So you're all trying it. I love it. Um, if you look straight up, that's the closest you'll get to not seeing your nose. But let me tell you, and you notice, there's, there's no way. It's still there. I, like I'm doing right now, it's still there. I can kind of, the peripheral down here, it's still there. My bulbous, ugly nose is still right there. I can still see it, even though I'm looking straight up. That's the best shot I have to ridding myself of being able to see my nose. In other words, it can't be done. You cannot not see your nose. It's there. It's plain. It's there for you to see. You can't avoid it. Wherever you look, it's there. It's looking back at you. Right? It's plain. Never to be escaped. And so it is with this angel's message. Even if no one has been told about God somewhere in the world today, they may never have heard a message about God. They are without excuse, Romans 1 tells us. And this angel plainly proclaims to all of creation, every nation, tribe, and tongue has heard. The voice of the angel echoes out. And what does he say? What does he say? He says this in verse 7. He said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So this angel proclaims in such a way that it's very loud, a loud voice to fear God and give him glory. And what is the reason specifically that we are to fear God and give him glory? Well, the the angel tells us because the hour of his judgment has come. We are to fear God and give God glory because the hour has come for his judgment to reign upon the earth. The hour has come. So what's so fearful? What is so fearful about the judgment that is coming? And this is where John's vision takes us. It's, it's a, he's going to take us little steps here to, on this tour, this grand tour of the final judgment. And a second angel kicks off this tour by announcing the fall of Babylon the Great in verse 8. Look with me in verse 8. It says, another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So Babylon is representative of the city of mankind. It it is shown in Revelation really as the center of human achievement, human power, human culture, the arts, all things human wrapped up in a neat little package in a big city. It really is like the equivalent of rolling up New York City and Paris, France and and Tokyo and Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, all these centers of culture and power and money and wealth, rolling them up into one one place, this city called Babylon. It really is representative, it's picture perfect of the world. It's this utopia, humankind's dream of a world without God and without God's rules, Okay? So that's what Babylon is. It's a place where people dream. It's a dream that many are dreaming of this this very morning. That there would be a place we could have in the world without God and without his rules. A massive sinful humanity 
It's what it is. And our world, like Babylon, it's filled with technology, right? It's, it's filled with comforts and, and with pleasures. It's, it's ruled by the elite, by the wealthy, the politically powerful. It's, it's influenced and shaped by the social media giants, by the, the Instagrammers, by the Hollywood stars. This is Babylon. This is the world we live in. And no matter how high, no matter how far Babylon has gone, no matter how godless and wicked they may have become, it's coming to an end. We just read it in verse 8. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. All is coming to a crashing halt, the angel warns us. It's going to crash. It's going to burn. Judgment is coming on this world and the ways and the thoughts and the values of this world. With this world treasures and cherishes. And this kind of fall that verse 8 is talking about is not the kind of fall that can be avoided or that can involve a parachute. No, it's as though the world is going to have its hands tied behind its back and it's going to be shoved off a cliff. No recovery. It's done. It's toast. The world will face judgment. And God has promised this. And the angel in verse 8 declares the judgment that is coming to Babylon to this world is because this world has made the inhabitants of the world drunk with the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And it's, it's so true. Sinful humanity has, has managed to organize and spread the contagion of materialism and of immorality. Our world is filled. I mean, you cannot avoid it. It's filled with lustful and sexual images. Nothing is pure. Even Disney and cartoons aren't clean. Everything in this world has become hypersexual. It is weird and ungodly stuff being pushed on us and even being pushed on children. This is the world of Babylon. And the people in Babylon are, are busy pretending that it's all good and it's noble and it's all right and it's true and it's great. And they celebrate these things with open minds and tolerant hearts. So the angel, hear what the angel says. Verse 8 again. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. And so we are warned. We are shown the fearful judgment is coming on the world. The way that the world is ordered the way that the world has gathered together in a place much like Babylon. And the angel tells us that it's all going to fall. This brings us to our second point. So we're to, to be afraid. Why? Because there's a coming judgment. And we're going to go further into this, to this judgment in our second point. Be afraid of being marked. There are two parts to this text that, that show us something called the mark of the beast. Yeah, we've probably all heard of that phrase, this idea of the mark of the beast. This, this very dark and very sinister thing, this idea that, that John shows us, that the angel, this, this third angel, we read in verse 9, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. There it is. Now, 
it, the angel's telling us that it's not just judgment that's coming on a global scale to Babylon, to the inhabitants, to the, to the big way that the world orders itself in rebellion against God and seeking the things and worshiping the things of this world. But now the, this, this third angel's telling us that there's a laser pointer on the foreheads of every person in the world. Now it's no longer just a global judgment. Now it's very personal. Now it has to do is... The question that should come to our minds, it's, it's, is there a mark on my head? Lord, is there a mark? No longer am I just thinking about Babylon burning to the ground. Now I'm realizing there is something aimed right here on me. This is not a global issue. This is a personal major issue. A question that we ought to and should ask, and I know it's on our minds, what is that mark? And how do I avoid it? Is it on me? And these these are questions we should settle right now. So let's start. What is the mark? What is the mark of the beast? And the angel in verse 11 settles this for us right off the bat there. He says, these worshipers of the beast and of its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. So right there, there he's, he's saying that those who are worshipers of the beast and of the way of the beast and of its image, those are the ones who are marked. So this mark is a spiritual one, not a literal one. We're not talking about 666 being tattooed on someone's forehead or, or, or some barcode or some microchip being planted in our arms or on our foreheads. No, we're talking about a mark of worship. It's a worship that is going on. People who are making their religion and their God the stuff of planet earth, the pleasures, the joys, the sins, the cravings, the immoralities, the idols and fake gods, that's the stuff of the mark of the beast. Those who are marked are those who are worshiping, who are bowing before, actively pursuing this world as their end, as their God. So to have the mark of this beast that leads to God's punishment is an act of deliberate rebellion and hatred of God and God's rules. So it's not a, it's not a mystery who has this mark. So when we ask the question, how can I know? No, so what is the mark? It's, it's a spiritual thing, right? It's a, a mark of worship. Well, how do I know that I don't have the mark? Or maybe I do have it. How do I know? Well, it's not a secret. It's, 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 it's something we're not to be ignorant about. It's not unclear here. John's not putting this out there to make us wonder in a sense that it's impossible to really know until the end. No, we should be able to know today, here now, is, am I marked by the worship of this world? Am I marked by the love of the things of earth over the love of Christ? And that's the question. So let's look at that. If you are here today, you have not trusted in Jesus Christ personally. And if you believe this world is all you get, what you see is what you get, and what you see is what you want, if that describes you, then the mark of the beast is on you. It's on you. You need to know that. Scripture's telling us that. God is not hiding this from you. You need to understand. If this world is what you want, this is what you desire, then the mark of the beast is upon you. Because you are worshiping this world. You are worshiping and making this world your 
God and the things of this world your God. And if this is true of you, there is yet time. There is yet time for you to see it, for, for you to understand that you are marked and that that mark can be removed. And this is the glory of the gospel, right? That Jesus, we know that he came to remove all stains, to remove the marks of sin, the marks of the devil, the marks that would be planted on our forehead, the mark of the beast. Jesus Christ has shed his blood. He died to remove the mark of our sin and rebellion against God. He has died to fully reconcile us to God. That is the gospel. And if you are marked, may you turn today to seek out, to cry out to the Lord for mercy. And he will answer, and he will make you clean, and he will make you to be his very own. And you will be marked with a very different mark. You will be marked as belonging to Jesus. So would you turn this morning? Now, if you're here this morning, you have trusted in Jesus Christ. You have repented of your sin. This mark is not on you. The mark of the beast is not on you. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't be tempted by the things of the world, right? Of course, you're still a sinner. You and I still are tempted. We're, we're watching a show or we're, we're out and about. We could be tempted with the lustful images. We could be tempted to want what this world wants. We could be tempted to, to bow the knee before this world's desires. Of course, we're still tempted. But that doesn't mean that the mark is upon us. If you have trusted in Christ, if you have repented of sin, and you are straining forward to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be a faithful disciple, if that's you, the mark is not upon you. Get that. Though you might be tempted, you are not marked. That's important for us to understand. So, and finally, if you're unsure which of those categories you're in, if you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, I would urge you that you would ask help. Get help. Get someone to help you to walk up, a, a pastor or a parent. Talk to your parents tonight. Confess to them, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Am I marked by Christ, by the beast? Where am I? Help me understand. Let today be the day that you, you confess your fears, your questions, and you don't go another day without getting godly help. Ask for Help. And the Bible commands us to make sure. It tells us in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. So be sure. That's my, my call to you. If you're not sure, get sure. Get sure. Okay. Moving on in our tour of the end. Our third point, be afraid of God's wrath. So we are to be afraid of the coming judgment. We are to be, we are to be afraid of the mark and being marked. And finally, or thirdly, we're, we are to be afraid of God's coming wrath. And we see this in verses 10 and 11. John's tour of the end continues. And this third angel not only shows us the mark of the beast, he also has some things to say about God's wrath. So starting in verse 10, this is what he says. First, he says... He, meaning those who are marked with the beast, will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. God's wrath is described here 
like a burning and terrible wine that will burn the throats and the souls of those who are being punished for their unbelief and for living for this world and worshiping this world. To get an idea of what it must be like to drink God's wrath, we should remember that Jesus did exactly that while he was dying on the cross for our sins. What happened to Jesus? What happened to him on the cross? Well, certainly he was tortured physically, right? Mr. Betcher talked a little bit about this last night. He was tortured physically. His, his body was busted up. He was bloodied and he was, he was pounded through with nails, right? Physical torture, unimaginable. The pain. Please understand what made Jesus tremble in the garden, what made him to be afraid and to cry out on the cross was not the physical torture. Jesus took the cup of God's wrath. He swallowed the burning spiritual death that is God's wrath for sin while he died on the cross. That is the burning fire of hell on earth. It was poured out on Jesus' soul, his torture and his crying out. Jesus, when he cries out on the cross, mainly was due to his being under God's holy and righteous anger, his wrath. The full strength of God's anger, what is it like? Well, the angel goes further in describing this. In verse 10, he says, he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Listen, this is sobering stuff, I understand. There is eternal torment that never ceases and that never ever pauses for a moment or takes a break. The heat of fire and the stench of sulfur. It smells like rotten eggs, it smells terrible. And this experience, which we cannot imagine, is endured by the souls and the bodies of those who are under the full strength of God's anger forever and ever. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And it's important for us, as we look at the reality of God's wrath and hell and what's coming in the judgment, it's important for us to think about this clearly. I think it is tempting for us to think that eternal torment is something that we really don't deserve. That maybe it's an extreme measure, that it, the punishment doesn't meet the crime. Have you ever heard that statement? Where the punishment that God's pouring out on a sinner, eternal torment, it doesn't fit the crime. This person's immortal. They only did so many sins in their life. How could they possibly deserve eternal, everlasting torment in fire, in sulfur, and the smoke of their torment going up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night? How is that a punishment that meets or fits the crime? Well, I think it's critical we think biblically about this. If we go based on our instincts as humans, we're always going to think of ourselves much more highly than we ought to, okay? So if you think about this from your own human perspective, you're going to land in a place that views hell as unjust and God is not so kind, okay? And we want to be careful. We want to steer from there. We want to go, what does God say about hell? Why does God think and believe and treat hell as a just and a righteous and a perfect punishment for sinners? Why does God see it that way? 
We want to look at this through God's perspective. Well, let's ask the question, is, is, is God a small God whose righteousness and holiness are just somewhat important, right? Is God just a mediocre God or deity whose, whose righteous laws and commands and decrees can occasionally be broken without little to no punishment required? Is this the kind of God we're discussing here? Is this the kind of God that shows up in Revelation 14 pronouncing judgment through these holy angels? What, are we talk, what God are we talking about here? Because that's a critical question. If God was like us, broken and fallen as we are, small and finite as we are, then the punishment for the crime would just be a slap on the wrist. Okay, go do better next time. But that is not the God we're discussing. God is not like us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not like your thoughts. We've learned through this whole week of the fear of the Lord, His holiness, His greatness, His justice, His righteousness. God is entirely not like you and me. God is entirely different. In every way exalted and transcendent. Therefore, the punishment that meets the crime, that fits the crime, for the sinner is and must be eternal torment. The smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever and they will have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. That is the punishment fit for those who rebel against the one true and living God. Those who have failed to acknowledge and, and treat his name as holy. Those who have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. So, we must take God's perspective when we think about hell, when we think about judgment, when we think about an eternal torment, we take God's perspective. Okay? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So says the writer of Hebrews. It is a fearful thing to fall into his hands as a sinner. But the hope of the gospel yet lies before us. Yes, it's a fearful thing to think of judgment, but for the Christian, for those who have trusted in Jesus, we don't fall into the hands of judgment. We fall into the hands of his mercy. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to our fourth, to our final point. Stay with Jesus. Listen, this final point is, is super obvious. I mean, this is Captain Obvious territory. How obvious. It couldn't be plainer than the nose on your face to what are we supposed to do about all that we just heard. We were just walked through a tour of the final judgment. What are we supposed to do about it? Well, it couldn't be clearer. Could not be clearer. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost as though we're inside of a building and there's an uncontrollable fire in the other room. Right? And, and next to us is a pile of, of, of cans of gasoline and there's a whole pile of explosives. Well, what kind of philosophizing or discussing do we need to do at that moment to figure out what to do? Right? That would be a silly and very foolish thing to do. The tact, the strategy is to get out. Right? Get out. Get to safety. Run! Run, run, and run some more. Run for the hills. Get away from that building that has the fire burning and those explosives on hand. Listen, the correct response to that situation couldn't be plainer than the nose on your face. And same thing with what we've walked through in the tour of the end and the judgment that's to come. 
This is exactly where John the Apostle takes us. Verse, verse 12. This is exactly the simple and the clear answer to what we need to do is this. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. There it is. The simple, clear, so clear. And I, if I could summarize it in three simple words, it's this. Stay with Jesus. That's what John is telling us to do. Endure and trust. Stay. Stay with Jesus. That's the only right response. It, it would be foolish to do anything else. It would be foolish for you to stay in that house with all that fire and those explosive chemicals. It's foolish. There's no other. What, what other option is there? I'll go upstairs. Really? Well, maybe I'll go down to the basement. No, you get out. That's the only right the only safe response. Well, here, it's stay with Jesus. Stay with him. And the answer to the coming judgment for all of us is to realize we are out of our league. We are out of hope. We are out of luck. We're out of options. We're out of anything that could help us apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way through the judgment. He's the only way through the coming judgment. It's a staying with him that matters. Staying with him is our only shot. Remaining near his side is the only way through the judgment. And when I was a child, my dad was a public school teacher. And if you know anything about school buildings and school, uh, you know that there's, there's one place in that building the child is never to go. A student could never go. It's the teacher's lounge, Right? You're not allowed in there. Kids aren't in, that's like, that's a special, like a sacred place for the, for the staff, right? And I had, I had heard rumors of what was in that room as a kid. I heard there was a Pepsi machine that you could get Pepsis for 25 cents, like the cheapest soda in the world. I was told there were free donuts and pastries. You could eat as many as you want at all times in all flavors. I was told, I, was, I heard the rumors that, that teachers literally floated off the ground in, in that glee, safe from the demands of hyperactive kids like me. Like there was such joy. And there was also probably unicorns and mythical creatures in the teacher's lounge. That's what I was told. That was the rumor. That was on the street. Now, if I ever as a student attempted to enter into the teacher's lounge, or if any child did, that the, the judgment would, it would, it would be severe. It would end badly. And all the kids knew it was kind of the, the word on the street was you never go in the teachers. We all knew that. That was, that was kind of the rule. And we, we all agreed that it would be safer and best that we didn't try. But for me, however, which is so, I, I think back at this, I was actually in that teacher's lounge a few times. I was a student. I was probably one of the few kids in the entire universe who made their way into Scenic Hill Elementary School teacher's lounge because my dad was a teacher. It worked out really cool. And the only thing true I found, there weren't an endless supply of donuts, there weren't unicorns. The only thing that was true, there was an actual Pepsi machine with 25 cent cans and my dad would get me one. That's the only thing true, by the way, of that whole experience. But my father, there was no reason for me. I could not go in that room apart from my dad. I had to stay with dad. There was no reason for me to be found in the lounge and I would be removed Quickly, quickly. And so it is with the gospel. We are commanded to keep the commandments of God in our faith in Jesus in verse 12. 
We're commanded to stay with Jesus. And we know that it's only by staying with Jesus that we are welcomed into places that we dare not go, that we cannot go. And that if we try, it only proves that the mark of the beast is on us. It proves we're self-deceived. It proves that all is not well in our soul. We are entirely dependent on and desperate for Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, the call, the response to this message is so clear, right? Captain Obvious, stay with Jesus. Do not move an inch elsewhere. Don't go to the left. Do not go to the right. Don't allow the Babylon of this world or the devil to tempt you that there's better options. There's, there's more pleasurable options out there that are worth running after. Don't listen to Babylon. Turn her off. Turn off the TV. Whatever it is, turn it off. Stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. So if you are a Christian, that's the response for you this morning. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure, it's this very, here's what you should do. This is my counsel. This is God's word to you. Run, run, run to Jesus. Go. Run this morning, today. Go run because judgment is coming quickly and the judgment will not go well for you. It will go terribly for you. You will pay for your sin. The torment that goes on forever and ever will be yours if you are not with Jesus. It will not go well. So my only encouragement to you is to run for Jesus. Run as though you know there's a severe thunderstorm coming and there's cover up ahead. It's Jesus. He's the only cover. You can't see anything else. No other safe place. And that thunderstorm's coming quick. You run. You run to Jesus. Run. And it's my prayer, and many people have prayed that this youth camp will be a time in your life that you will look back and you will recognize that Jesus saved you and put you in a safe place with him. That's my prayer. It's the prayer of many. Dear friends, we have looked at the end. There's much to be afraid of in the end. There is much fear that is meant to drive us to faith and endurance with Jesus. And it is good to fear God and it is good to fear the coming judgment. And it is only Jesus who can make our judgment to become a moment of mercy and rejoicing. And that is our hope. Only Jesus can do that. And so, we stay with him. So hear the call. God's fearful judgment is almost here, so respond today with faith and with endurance. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your grace in this moment. Lord, there are some here who have not trusted in Jesus or who are self-deceived into thinking they're okay with you. I pray, God, that you would show them the truth. Show them the mark upon their foreheads. Lord, show them their need to cry out to God for mercy and to run for Jesus. And that they would do so, that the, today would be the day of their salvation, that today, this morning, would be the moment when they woke up and they saw the dangers that are lying ahead. And they would respond with faith and with repentance. They would cast this world behind them, never to look back. 
We pray for this. And we, I pray for every believer in this room that you would cause us, Lord, to endure. It's hard, God. It's hard to stay the course. And yet, Jesus, you are worth the pains and the troubles. You are worth it. And so I pray, Lord, you'd give us your grace this morning to run harder, to stay closer with Jesus. Would you do this in your precious and holy name, Lord? Amen. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.